Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. and welcome to heaven this is under consultation an episode by episode podcast type situation through the uk's greatest video game challenge tv show games master i am one of your hosts luke owen and even i need to relieve my tensions once in a while and rapidly approaching my quentin tarantino time i am ash versus this episode aired on the 12th of october 1995 fifa 95 remains top of the console charts simply red's fairground is top of the pops and apollo 13 it's top of the UK box office. Very little has changed in the UK in the last seven days. No, Mick Hucknall, still ginger. Apollo 13, still excellent. Although I will say the day we are recording this episode is the day when Eunice is tearing through the UK and is literally tearing apart the O2, where Simply Red were due to play. Were they really? What's yeah, nice? Uh, over the next couple of days, certainly, but uh, given that the O2 is now missing a large chunk of its roof, I think it's yeah. questionable whether that will go ahead. It's a bit scary, so let's let's jump into the warmth of 1995 nostalgia, because here's what was happening in the world of TV and music. On October 10th, Green Day released Insomniac with its single Brains Dew, a song that is very pivotal to my teenage years, because it was the first song that my uh, secondary school band learned to play because it's dead easy to play. And that was the song that we came together as a band to perform. And we even performed it live to our, the rest of our school. Oh, wow. Was it kind of like uh, Marty McFly and the Pinhead, Sorry, You're Just Too Damn Loud kind of thing? Not quite, no. But it was like that. And, you know, Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. We were a very basic band. But uh, I, I've always I've got a lot of love for Green Day's Brains, Jew. Uh, however, the day after, October 11th, Tupac Shakur is released from Clinton Correctional Facility, New York, on a $1.4 million bail posted by Suge Knight 
And in return, he signed a three-album deal with Knight's Death Row Records, which would be his last album. Like He recorded a double album, which was released in early 96, and that would be his last album before he was murdered. Wow. But perhaps more importantly, on October 12th, ITV airs Bait, an episode of The Bill that concludes a three-part story and sees the exit of the character Joe Morgan, who is shot while trying to warn June Ackland of an impending attack on her car. I think we've been sold a pot. What? Mrs. Cooper hasn't been telling the truth. I don't think Zeke is at the safe house. Shut No, no, please. No, please, don't. No, it's not. It's not. There's nothing you can do, Joe. No, no, it's... She's dead. No, Joe! No! Oh, it's not Joe, sorry. Joe, come on, let's go. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Um, have we got anything going on in the magazine? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about gloom for the Amiga, kind of like doom is taking over the world. You have its clones, you have its imitators, but you also have that desire to get doom or a doom alike onto every single platform. And the SNES is not being left out. Not only do they obviously have various imitators trying to get in on the action, but doom itself was ported to the SNES by Ocean Software. princely sum of £59.99. Damn, that's an expensive little cut right there. I mean, having said that, I think that's what Killer Instinct is released at the same time when that gets reviewed in a couple of episodes. But Les is our man in the know for this review, and he says that life has returned to normal, the sound of chainsaws cutting their way through alien flesh is filling the office, the subtle noise of shotguns being fired into people's faces is once more ringing in my ears. Best of all, for once, we don't get the cries of turn that bloody thing off and do some work when we play Doom. Because this time playing Doom is work. We've got the SNES version and we've got an excuse to play Doom all day long. Of course, we have to play the PC and Jag versions as well, just to compare them, of course. I mean, it's only right, Luke. If you're going to play one, you've got to compare it to the others. I'm glad they're doing their due diligence around this sort of thing. But they go on to say that for a game that many thought wasn't possible on the SNES, it compares very well to its older and more powerful brothers. The first and most important thing to say is that the atmosphere and mindless violence are there, in copious amounts. They've kept all the gore, all the bloodshed, and all the shooting of anything that moves. That's the good news. The bad, well, it moves a little more slowly than the other versions, but when you consider that it's running on a machine that's not nearly as powerful then this is a pretty minor gripe. That's the only bad news, though. Doom is still a stonkingly good shoot-em-up. The combination of where the hell is that key, what the hell is that, and kill it is totally irresistible. One game is all it will take to become seriously hooked. It doesn't have the deathmatch feature, but that was expected, and you can't save it as you go along, a feature that was missing from other console versions too. Surprisingly, even though they are missing a floor and a ceiling, the graphics are sharper and more detailed than the Jaguar version. 
It may not be as smooth, but it certainly is nicer to look at. That's an interesting conceit because, yeah, on the SNES version, the floor and the ceilings are just flat. They're just flat colours. There's no textures on it at all. But the game does look pretty damn nice. It certainly looks a lot better than I would give it credit for on the SNES. It's a really, really good port. Uh, and, it, and a surprising port as well. It's kind of well, like Les was saying in that review there. It's like, you know, this is the Super Nintendo. This isn't supposed to be able to do Doom. And it's doing Doom really, really well. Yeah, they do say that about the sound. Bizarrely, the sound of enemy soldiers firing their shotguns at you is missing, which is hmm. weird. Yeah, that is weird. But the SNES version does have some music included, which is one up on some of the other versions out there. It isn't exactly what you would call scene-setting music. You'd need something far more sinister for that. But, you know, it's okay. Doom is the one that a lot of you have been hanging on for, and it's safe to say that it's worth the wait. My main problem with Doom is the price. 60 quid is a hell of a lot to pay for a game, regardless of what flash chips they put inside the cart. But if you can get the cash, you won't be disappointed. It surpasses the 32X version with ease and goes head-to-head with the Jag for best console version of this classic game. A fabulous game, but on the pricey side. It's still worth it for the chance of chainsawing zombies and mass killing. The most fun you can have with a shotgun without getting banged up. It's weird that Les said that the, the music, you know, you needed it to be a bit more atmospheric. It's the music from Doom. It's just, it's the SNES version of it. Yeah, and the SNES has many fine audio qualities, but I don't think its kind of synth set is quite right for Doom. You know, it's not... Its guitar sounds aren't quite kind of crunchy. It's why you'd think it'd be better sounding on the 32X, but the 32X sounds like just a bunch of farts. Well, I mean, that's the 32X as a console in general. But going on to the breakdown of the scores, should we do our standard, see if you can guess the percentage? Let's go for it. Graphics. Never been done before on the SNES, and the most un-16-bit looking graphics I have ever seen. Now, you've got to take into consideration that it does not have a floor nor a ceiling, but I do think it is high based on those comments. So I'm going to say 95. Oh, 92. Urgh. See, if I was nice, I'd say, go on, we, we can do it again. We can do it again. But moving on to sounds. Forget the music, the sound effect to what makes Doom great. Absolutely superb. Now, keeping in mind, obviously, what he'd said about the music, where do you think we're sitting for sounds? I still think it's in the 90s period. But mate, am I, am I putting myself into this, though? I'm going to say 89. You are in the right 10 percentile. It's 84. Okay. Okay. I think that's actually a bit unfair, to be honest. I mean, if it's missing a couple of sound effects, I suppose, as well. It's a weird one to be missing the kind of enemy grunt shotgun noise. That That's just weird. Gameplay. Listen, Doom just can't be beaten. Very violent, very big, and very worth sticking with. That's got to be in 95, surely. 92. Damn it. I'm overestimating here how much they like Doom on the SNES. I suppose if you've got it in the office with the Jag and the PC version, and if you've got the PC version, you've probably got the multiplayer option. So maybe that's why it's a little bit lower, because it's if this was the only version of SNES, uh, Doom they had access to. Yeah, uh, maybe so. And like, you know, the fact you can't save it either. And this, yeah, I, I get that. Lifespan. You'll still go back to it for a quick slaughter months after you've finally finished it. Now... That again feels like it's an 80s comment. So I'm going to say 85. 
93. Which is surprising because the whole thing is just like, oh, you may go back to it once in a while. 93%. Come on, Les. Well, no, he doesn't say that. He says you'll still go back to it for a quick slaughter months after you've finally finished it. So he's kind of saying that even once you're done with it, you're still going to get sucked back in. It doesn't sound like a 93% uh, comment, though. But okay, overall, what more can I say? Doom is a bloody brilliant game, and this is a brilliant version of it. It may be expensive, but it's well worth it for a game that you'll be coming back to months after you've blitzed it. We do. I think it's a solid 90%. 93. I am very bad at this game. You'll get there, mate. You get there. Even angels need to relieve their tension once in a while. And that's why you join us today in heaven at Quentin Tarrant Tea Time. For we will be using this finer Virtua Cop contraption throughout today's show. Later on, my own tensions will be being relieved by the appearance of our two special Biker Grove guests, Donna Eyre and Vicky Taylor. I think Dominic Diamond's line of Quentin Tarantino time might be his greatest line in all of Games Master thus far. It's one of a number of lines in my recent note-taking sessions where it doesn't matter how many times I've watched the episode, I have to pause it afterwards because I just giggle a bit and therefore miss whatever it is I'm meant to be taking notes on immediately afterwards. But yeah. Quentin Tarantino time, Luke, when you absolutely positively have to have tea with every motherfucker in the room. And it's really nice as well because we have got a very shooting game coming up today. Lots of gun violence. And for the pretty, I'd say, iconic in Games Master lore challenge of Virtua Cop, this is going to take up the entire episode. And it is, I remember like at the time this being awesome and watching it back, it's even more awesome. Yeah, I think I appreciate it more now than I would have the first time round. I mean, I've got vague memories of seeing it the first time round, but I can't remember being that impressed by it. But also, I don't think I'd really played Virtua Cop at that point. But watching it now, having played Virtua Cop a whole lot, I'm now really impressed by it because Virtua Cop is nails. Yeah, it's really, really difficult. So that is going to be a very excellent challenge. And you know, actually, let's, let's find out a little bit more about this challenge. Sega's Virtua Corp has turned out to be easily the best arcade shoot-em-up since the Falklands War. But as the empty pockets of many a punter will testify, it's as hard as a Pitbull Terrier wearing a chieftain tank for trousers. For this event, we've shoved in a top arcade champ to show us how it's done. His mission is to quite literally play through the entire game and using only one tiny credit before the end of the show. This most single of credits will give him just five lives to sustain him through three levels of tooled up Tarantinos, helpless hostages and bazooka wielding bosses. Wow, this is a line, isn't it? Best arcade shoot 'em up since the Falklands. Yeah, that is that is quite the line right there. And harder than a pit bull wearing a chieftain tank for trousers. That's a mental image as well. Dom is on fire. He really has as well. And I like this. They've flown in a top arcade player to play through the whole game on just one credit, i.e. they looked across the production office and saw Martin and said, Oi, Martin, do you want to play this game? But, you know, he's right for the challenge. He's absolutely right for it. And yeah, complete the game. One credit, five lives, three levels. It's a tough, tough challenge. Because you, you're right that Virtua Cop is a very difficult game. Virtua Cop is a game that I've not played a huge amount either because in my local arcade, it was always Time Crisis and Time Crisis 2. So I haven't, I don't have a huge amount of experience with Virtua Cop outside of 
a couple of goes on it. I think a friend of mine that I mentioned, a friend of mine that had the Saturn, I think he had the home release of it. But I don't remember like a great deal of the game. I am I'm more in te- I'm more Team Time Crisis than I am Virtual Cop. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. I think I had more access to Time Crisis. Also, I think Time Crisis is easier. It's also got the ducking mechanic as well, which is a lot of fun. I love that foot pedal. That foot pedal to me was a game changer. I'm just like, finally, the shooter on rails has a bit of an interactive element. I really like that. But let's head on over to Games Master to find out a little bit more detail about what we can expect. Although it may look like a simple case of shoot everything that moves, there's a couple of things to look out for. It's very important to reload your weapon every time you've got the chance. This is done by pointing the gun away from the screen and firing. The barrel in the bottom right of the screen indicates how many bullets you've got left. Each time a player is hit, they lose one of their five lives. Lose all five, and it's game over. This is less Games Master telling us what the challenge is, because Dom's already done that, but more him doing but the consultation zone in a way, I guess, because he's giving young Martin some tips here, telling him how to reload. But it's more for the audience. If you haven't seen this game in action, like Games Master tells you, you've got to reload. This is to see how many bullets you've got left in your chamber. This is your lives. This, that and the other. And I think it's actually a really smart thing to do because there could be a large percentage of the audience watching this show that haven't even seen Virtua Cop in action. Yeah, it's also a nice way to deal with things you realise are missing after the fact. So you're starting to put the episode together, you know you've got a session with Patrick Moore coming up and you're just like, "Uh, we should probably explain a little bit more about how this game actually works. So you just write it on a cue card for Patrick to say, and boom, gap filled. Yeah, it's really, really nice. Also, it keeps Games Master involved because we have seen over the last few episodes and we're going to see, you know, for the rest of Series 5, Dom kind of takes a bit more of the here is what the challenge is because Dom will have some spiel about the game beforehand. So yeah, like it, it's a good way to keep Games Master still involved in the show that is named after him. Now, this isn't the first time we've caught glimpse of Virtua Cop on Games Master. It was a 1994 light gun game after all. It's been around a little while, but this is the point when it's going to be coming onto more people's radar, not only because, of course, it's finding its way into arcades in the UK more commonly. It may have even been in the mop fair this year when it came round to my hometown, but also because there was a Sega Saturn port in the offing and a Windows port just around the corner in 1996. Yeah, we actually get a, slight, a bit of a review of the Saturn port later on. We get it previewed in a news item in an upcoming episode. And that's a really exciting thing to have in the home, like a light gun game. Yeah, I mean, we've had light gun games in the past. We've had them on the Mega Drive. We've had them on the, uh, even go back to the NES, we've had these light gun games. But this is like an arcade light gun game that's Virtua Cop that's really exciting. And I would imagine it's the sort of thing that might actually shift some sands. And it's not even that the game itself is kind of close to arcade perfect which it is, it's the fact that you're not just using a generic gun controller or like the NES light gun controller or God forbid the super scope. You've got the Virtua gun or in the case of the Saturn version, you've got the Saturn mouse. Yeah, it's a really, really nice little bit of kit to be honest. Yeah, I, I am amused by the existence of the Saturn mouse, although I suppose mouse support would have had to have been built into the game for the Windows version eventually anyway, because 
you don't really do light gun games with with a PC. It's mouse aim, and that's about it. I can't imagine it's as much fun with a mouse, though. Uh, it's okay, and I say that as someone that has played a number of light gun games with a mouse. It kind of it works, but it doesn't have the tactile feel that you get of a light gun shooter. And here to play Virtua Cop today is Martin Mathers. Martin, today you are James Bond. Indeed, Dominic. Licensed to wear an ill-fitting suit, so it seems. You said it, Martin. And now, actually, you appeared on Series 1 yeah. of Ghost Master. Cool. And how did you go on? I failed. You did fail. <laughs> I did. So, are you going to do better tonight? Of course, I'll, I'm going come back to get my revenge. I want so, that joystick. So, you are convinced that you can play through the whole of Virtual Cop and complete it before the show ends? Not only am I going to complete it on one credit, I'm going to get a perfect score. So, what makes you think you can do this challenge then, Martin? Well, I think it's because, unlike most of the people we have on the show, not only am I a completely true professional, I'm also a bit of a cocky git. He's back from Series 1, and he's got a license to wear an ill-fitting suit. He's also on the production team now. Martin Mathers is here to take on this challenge. And I like the fact that they brought up his history with the show. They talked about the fact that he was in Series 1 of Games Master way, way, way back when. And he was unsuccessful at that Terminator 2 challenge, which was, let's be honest, quite short. Welcome again, Master. And your name is? Martin. And where are you from, Martin? I'm from Stanmore, Middlesex. Right, now do you know the Terminator 2 game? Uh, yeah. So Quite you're well. familiar with that puzzle challenge? Yeah. Commiserations, Martin. At one stage there, it looked very, very close. What went wrong? Well, as I got closer to the end, the pieces were harder to spot where they actually went, and I couldn't slot them in together. And... Well, we were all ooing and eyeing. Everybody here, you put up an incredibly good show. It was. He does say he's back to get his revenge and not only complete the game on one credit, he's going to do it with a perfect score. That's 9,999,999. And I love, throughout all of this spiel that goes back and forth, the angels are draped over Martin like a Bond poster. I actually really like his banter with Dominic Diamond. It feels quite rehearsed. Which, you know, it probably was because they're both on the production team together and they've got quite a good rapport. But it's still it's still nice, you know, the fact that I'm not only a true pro, I'm also a cocky git. Yeah, and Tom's like, well, yes, yes, you are. And keeping a watchful eye over Martin throughout today's show is Dave Professor Perry. Professor, listen, what's going to be the most difficult thing about Martin completing this challenge within the time? Um, the difference, difficulty is going to be racking up the points. He's got to score 9,999,999 points. That's a lot of points. So he's going to have to use the points. multiplier at the top of the screen. He uses that by hitting targets as often as possible, and that increases the amount that the score he hits on those targets is multiplied by. It could be anything up to times nine. I am so <laughs> curious to know what order they shot the challenges in. Because we mentioned it on last week's episode that Dave is starting to cotton on to the fact that Dom is taking the piss out of him by all these name changes. But there's an episode coming up, I think it's even in episode six, where Dom does the whole, like, can I call you this? And Dave's like, yeah, most people do. And I'm like, I wonder, you could probably piece together, just on Dave's reactions, what order these challenges were shot in, depending on how much he realises he's having the piss taken out of him. Yeah, he's he's a little uncertain with Professor, and I'm not sure if that's because it's a bit later on or is because he's just like, well, that's weird, but okay. But anyway, yeah. the, but anyway, the Professor also lays down to us that the most difficult thing about this challenge won't be completing the game. It will be that self-imposed challenge of the perfect score. And to achieve this, he needs to kind of keep hitting the targets multiple times. That's the thing about Virtua Cop. It's not just a one-shot done. You want to get multiple hits in because that will rack up the multiplier. 
that multiplier will rack up the points and you'll just get closer and closer to that perfect score. I think Dave has got some really good commentary in this. We don't say that a lot with Dave Perry, but I think that this is the sort of challenge that Dave can sink his teeth into. And it's the sort of thing that he enjoys about Games Master. He is the sort of guy that wouldn't have been on board for something like, I don't know, Baby Rom or something like that, where it is just the production team having a laugh at the expense of some people. They were like, no, 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 I think this should be a serious show where we talk about video games seriously. And this is the challenge where he gets to talk about this very, very seriously and dive into the mechanics of the game and Martin's skill set. And I think he's actually pretty great throughout this. Dom's really good at it as well because Dom is taking this challenge very seriously. And the fact that he has put this self-imposed time limit on the whole thing and is making out that the show is being broadcast live to air adds a real sense of tension to the challenge as to whether Martin can actually get it done in time. Now, I've just gone to howlongtobeat.com and I've looked up Virtua Cop. Now, keep in mind, this is user-submitted data and therefore, you know, pinch of salt. But out of 17 people polled, the rushed time to complete the main story is 35 minutes. The median is 45. So best will in the world, Martin isn't completing this in real, real time. But it is still nice to have that conceit. And also the fact that he does it in half an hour, spoilers, he literally makes it by the skin of his teeth, does make him look considerably badass. And that's the thing, half an hour for a game doesn't seem like a long time to us now. But half an hour out of an arcade game, that's a lot. Exactly, yeah. On that single credit as well, no less. I've just had a quick check of speedrun.com. Uh, 21 minutes is the current world record. That is the PC version. The arcade version is 22 minutes 13, which is probably about the sort of runtime we actually have for this episode in terms of the challenge itself. It'd be interesting to know, I mean, maybe we'll find out when that illustrious tome is finally in our hands, how this actually played out. Because also, it's not like he just completes the game. He does it in a specific way because he gets the double boss at the end. Yeah, you got to do it in the right order. Yeah. So, so well, that would be fascinating to find out. But I do, uh, just to go back, I just like that they're presenting this as you have the runtime of the TV show. Yes. Because it would have been very easy for them to just not do that, still have it end with him winning and everyone goes home happy. It's a nice little bit of TV trickery and I'm here for it. I mean, we've seen on Games Master in the past them, you know, on a live episode and running out of time in a challenge. So it almost set a precedent that it could possibly happen. I, I think it's a masterstroke, to be honest. Proof that some people haven't heard that 16-bit is dead is a new gadget that allows you to prove you're the tops of the Mega Drive or the Super NES without leaving your home. Hyperscore grabs your high score at the end of a game then allows you to transmit it to a central scoreboard via a 40p phone call. It's then immediately added to the national high score table for that game. The tables are shown on teletext or you can call up for your position and the top monthly players in each league will win some fantastic excuse for a prize. Mortal Kombat 3 is just one of 20 games compatible when Hyperscore is released next month for 30 notes. Now the most interesting thing about our first news item here, the Hyperscore, is does this thing actually exist? Okay. Because there are those who say Yes, I owned one. And there are those that were like, not in a million years did it ever actually come out. So it was designed by Hasbro, but weirdly, this pretty much was a UK device. And yet Hasbro, you know, Bobby Big Bollocks American Toy Company. But this was aimed at us. Now, it was intended for release in October 1995. It was due to cost 30 quid. 
but it was cancelled at the last minute, probably because Hasbro suddenly realised that the SNES and the Mega Drive were on the way out and that the PlayStation and the Saturn were where the money was going to lie. Now, arguably, inventory already existed, and it was in warehouses and possibly even in the hands of retailers, particularly your Currys, your Dixons, your Rumbelows, your Comets. But it was never put on sale and was withdrawn. However, multiple people have claimed that they bought theirs from an independent retailer, or rather multiple independent retailers, Particularly back in the 90s, even though you weren't meant to, indie retailers would break street date. If they've got something in, they're going to put it on the shelf. It's just how things worked. It wouldn't even be a case of putting, you know, under the counter. They were already fighting a battle against big chains. So if they've got something, out it goes. We saw on Gamesmaster the import market type situation deals. Those, those have been the places where you'd have probably found this. Yeah. However, the problem was the service never fully went live, so it didn't work. Yeah, I found this quote here from someone who claims that they had one that said, it never worked. I have a vivid memory of trying to transmit my Super Mario World score through the phone and never getting it understood. My question is, did it ever work? There were scores on Teletext, but they may have been placeholders. This was on about six years ago on a forum called Arcade or Arquade. And a few people responded to it being like, you know, linking to the Sega Retro article that says, like you said, cancelled at the last minute and never actually came out. And the, this guy was like, no, I can tell you. I did purchase one from an independent store. The phone line was active. I had the telephone at full stretch up the stairs and the SNES at full stretch from my bedroom to ensure the large plastic round speaker could reach the mouthpiece of the phone. You could adjust the speaker so that the tone noises it made were held for a longer duration. It still didn't work. I can remember Digitizer had some scores on one of their pages, but I think those were placeholders as they never changed. Um, we mentioned, you know, the retailers had these independent retailers and this digitizer gave away what well, they said that they gave away 25 copies of it. Yeah, as a competition on tips with Mr. Nude. I've actually got the Teletext screen grab up there because of the uh, Teletext preservation kind of dealio that goes on, particularly with digitizer. And uh, the question you had to answer for that was, which of these is not usually linked with telephones? Is it operator, dial or wine? I mean, nowadays, the only one you would link with the telephone is wine because there's no dial and an operator i don't even think they exist anymore but an interesting one is that i noticed the address at the bottom of this screen grab is hyperscore week two which implies to me that not only did digitizer have units to give away they had them to give away over multiple weeks because they said we've got 25 to give away this week it must have been the case that Hasbro were doing a deal with them, you know, that they were like, they were putting this out to retail and it was cancelled at the last minute. And maybe it's just that that word hadn't made it across to Digi yet that they were not releasing this thing. So they hadn't updated any of the text or any of the copy for that sort of thing. I mean, maybe the UK itself was a test market. Like it wasn't even a case of, oh, they only made this for the UK. Maybe they were like, you know, we've got this idea. We think we're going to put it out. Let's test it in the UK particularly because we've got teletext yeah and then if the technology works we can work out how to do it in other regions where they can i don't know, put it onto a website or something like that but finding a way to do it into a north american market i'd imagine the north american market way to do it would be actually it would all be done with just telephone so you would have the unit you would transmit it over the phone and then you would call up 
a number and like a robotic voice or a pre-recorded operator voice would be like, you know, press one for top scores for Super Mario World. And then it would list the scores and who yeah. they came from. There's probably also a channel on some cable package that is just there to be like, here is the TV schedule. And there's probably some channel like that that they that Hasbro could have got to display this sort of thing. But it's a fascinating little bit of video game history because, you know, we got it here in Games Master. I don't know if it's featured in the magazine or anything like that, but this is literally like a few weeks before it is out. There is physical proof that these things do exist. There are stories from these things, people these do exist, that was cancelled at the last minute, but so many wires were crossed and not connected that not that 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 message didn't always get out to everyone. It's a weird time in the video game world. I also find it fascinating that this is a series five news item, but feels like a series three news item because it's Mega Drive and SNES focused. You know, I know you're saying here, like outside of Mortal Kombat 3 and modems and this and the other, you could imagine this feature with Dexter Fletcher doing the voiceover for it. Especially because we did have a lot of devices of this type in Series 3. And even Series 2 with the kind of home of the future, Auntie Marisha and stuff like that. Indy 500 is the latest in Sega's lineup of top racing arcade games. Using the same Model 2 technology as Daytona and Sega Rally, Indy 500 offers a choice of three tracks, four viewpoints, multiple players, and gameplay that's faster than me sprinting after an attractive lady going downhill on a bike. Speaking of things that never quite made it into the home, Indy 500, the Sega arcade game. Ah, oh, this game looks good. It does, yeah. We're getting so many of these at the moment, aren't we? Which is kind of like what Dom is saying here in the preamble, that this is you know yet another racing game that, that is hitting the arcades. But goddamn, like with each one, there's always these new little improvements on things. And this one looks really, really nice. Yeah, it was based on the IndyCar series, hence where Indy 500 came from, but actually had the license from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and includes the Speedway as one of its courses. Uh, It was the second game by AM1, their first to utilise coloured textures, and they originally planned it to be one of the kind of early games for the Model 3 arcade hardware, but there were problems getting the hardware out, and so they actually used the Model 2 instead, and I imagine just kind of cut a few bells and whistles or maybe took a few performance hits. Now, there was meant to be a Sega Saturn version, but it was shit-canned because the team behind it, who were also the team behind Sega Rally Championship, were actually moved over to put some effort into Daytona USA Champion Circuit Edition because the buzz behind that game was higher than the buzz behind the Indy 500. And certainly internationally, Daytona USA was going to do more money than Indy 500. Indy 500 is a very American-centric property. You could probably look at the arcade numbers as well, and I imagine that Daytona and Sega Rally probably outperformed the Indy 500. Like, I remember seeing those. I don't remember seeing Indy 500 much, though. The thing I remember the most about Daytona is that song. But the game does look great and goes faster than Dominic chasing after an attractive lady going downhill on a bike. And all I could hear in my head was <laughs> just imagining Dominic in a full Benny Hill style cartoon comic book se- sequence. Before the F1 Gym 2 game comes out later on in the year, the wee worm has gone all Hollywoody on us and now has its own cartoon show. The 5 million quid 13 part series has just started on cable channel TCC and includes characters and stunts straight from the game and some naff songs that thankfully aren't. The 
comes Earth and Jimmy know that he's a mighty one. Oasis it ain't. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you think, oh, I wish I could hear Luke and Ash talk about this Earthworm Jim cartoon, you can, because we reviewed an episode of this over on Patreon. Yes, which you can hear by joining up to our Patreon, Beer 52, Wine 57. <laughs> gratuitous plug here look i love the earthworm jim cartoon series we gushed about it when we did it on patreon uh, i had a lot of fun diving into the history of it as well it is quite mad it's got an amazing voice cast in it and it, you could dom's disdain for this cartoon comes through in his voiceover in, in kind of the same way that he hated on animaniacs in series four like he has just got no time for this earthworm jim cartoon series particularly because of that theme song uh, yeah i mean to hear us go into this in full details obviously go and check out the episode but the cartoon series was really well written an amazing voice cast and it gave us some really really cool toys because that's what you need off a cartoon I mean, you had Peter Puppy, you had Princess What's-Her-Name, you had multiple versions of Earthworm Jim, you had Bob the Killer Goldfish, Evil the Cat, Henchrat, Major Mucus, and Psycho, and a mountable pocket rocket, Diamondism. And, you know, for the record, yes, that theme song, Oasis It Ain't, but I do love it, though. It's a great old theme song. But it is very, very cartoony. Yeah, it's it's Animaniacs. Like it, it's, it was the style at the time is that everyone was trying to go for wacky, zany opening credit style things, particularly this style of animation. I would say Animaniacs is above this, not just for the content. Oh but no, it's way because... above it. Yeah, I think it's trying to ebb that sort of style. I was just gonna say because Earthworm Jim, as much as we love it, was a cash in. Yeah, it was anima- Animaniacs. It ain't. Yeah, although technically the cartoon was in development before the game because the character was there and it was kind of a character they saw um, off the back of uh, kind of shiny entertainment splitting from Virgin. And there was a lot of things already in the uh, in process, like Doug Tenable had all these different cartoon characters. Earthworm Jim was the first one he showed to them and it was the one they fell in love with. Interestingly, in addition to a new game that is allegedly coming out, allegedly, for well, an alleged <laughs> hardware platform, allegedly. Yeah, we, we did talk about this a lot. Like going back in, into Series 4, when we talked about the Earthworm Jim challenge when that came out, that, yeah, Earthworm Jim 4 is apparently coming out for the Intellivision. And you're thinking, what, the Intellivision? Yeah, the brand new Intellivision that's coming out, but it's starting to look very unlikely that this Intellivision console is ever actually going to make it to market. And also, I am aware, much as we did with the cartoon, we're not covering the issues with the various people involved in Earthworm Jim, past, present, and indeed future. Um, It's a big old can of worms, if you'll pardon the expression. But one last note that I think has happened between us last talking about Earthworm Jim at length and now is that it's been reported that a new animated television series titled Earthworm Jim Beyond the Groovy is in development. I will be curious because there have been like, you know, Earthworm Jim sequels, new Earthworm Jim cartoons and Earthworm Jim movie, like in talks, reports, rumors, innuendos for, well, actually the last 20 plus years. So I'll be surprised to see if this one actually does come out. But, you know, like the the creators of the character have been trying to get more Earthworm Jim properties out the door since the original game came out. So I won't hold my breath on that one just yet. You never know. You've got to believe, Luke. You've got to believe. Like Parappa the Rapper. Hi, my name is Michael Jackson. 
All right, mate. They call me the beer hunter. They call me that because I drink beer for a living. Really? I thought you were a supermodel. So listen up, ladies. If you explore this beer hunter CD-ROM, you'll be able to amaze your friends with your uncanny knowledge of the beer-making process, swap stories about malting, and squabble over the best label design. Hello again, and welcome to the field guide section of this program. You can even ask Mike what his favourite beers are. Just don't mention smoked porter. Smoked porter. This is powerfully smoky. Uh-huh. Really get that smoky aroma. Really? And then as you taste it, there's more smokiness, and it's a slightly... Smoky? ...woody-tasting smokiness. Damn! Yes, Mike really loves his smoked porter. I once had this beer for breakfast uh, with bagels and locks at a picnic in the middle of an ice field in Alaska. Yeah, sure. Funny he never married. Anyway, over to Mike for some final words for those people unsure whether to buy Tashinden or Beer Hunter. I encourage you to expand your palate for a good beer. Of course, it might take a lifetime. Hey, no rush, mate. Anyway, a feature that I'm really beginning to enjoy on Games Master is our next one. It's CD-ROM of the week. I'm glad that you're enjoying them. I feel like, it, for me, these, these feels like filler bits of the show. Like I, li- I like Dom's MST3K shtick. That's the best part of it. But at the same time, it is just... I would much I would much rather more news or another review in place of this. I tell you the reason I like them so much is because a lot of the titles they're highlighting are things that would otherwise be lost to history. Like you think about what is it the uh, the love letters thing. The fact that we actually got to talk about that is astounding. It would never have happened without it being featured here because I mean there's so little information available on it. And the same here. Michael Jackson no, not that Michael Jackson. Another Michael Jackson. He's a beer hunter. And he doesn't just have one CD-ROM, by the way. There are multiple CD-ROMs of Michael Jackson, beer hunter. It's a show that never really took off in the end, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's all because of a typo. Originally, he wanted to be known as the deer hunter. <laughs> if you look at a keyboard, a D and a B, they're, they're within three or four letters of each other. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, Beer 52. I am a I do like my beers. I've been a Beer 52 subscriber for years. I literally get a crate sent to my house of craft beers uh, from around the world that I probably wouldn't have tasted without uh, the the subscription service. And I'm not even going to give a link because we're not sponsored by them at the moment. But even I, like I I do read the magazine Ferment. It's award winning. Uh, But I don't think I like beer enough that I would have got a CD-ROM of Michael Jackson telling me about his favourite beers and how much he really likes that smoked porter. Mate, don't even bring up the smoked porter. (laughs) It's like mentioning Vietnam to a veteran. You just don't, don't do it. He really likes that smoked porter and apparently would like, like to have it for breakfast on a frozen plane. It's a bit much. It, It is a little bit. But Michael Jackson, no, not that Michael Jackson. The other Michael Jackson, Michael James Jackson, to give him his full name. He was an English writer and journalist. He wrote many books, like paper books, not CD-ROMs, about beer and whiskey, and contributed to a number of broadsheets, including The Independent and The Observer. Sold over 3 million copies worldwide, translated into 18 different languages, and has been credited with helping to start the renaissance of interest in beer and breweries worldwide in the 1970s particularly America, which is probably where this eventual CD-ROM came from, because it was a Discovery Channel product, who, whilst they do exist worldwide, are most known for the USA. And while she made a joke about the TV series, the Beer Hunter show was sold to over 15 different countries. And yeah, he was, he was a, an alcoholic renaissance man to a degree, 
And by that, I mean, he was all about the whiskey. He was all about the beer. He was all about sharing his passions of those particular forms of brewery and fermentation, particularly that smoked porter. And his book on malt whiskey is the best-selling book on the subject in the world to this day. Is he still with us? Sadly not. He passed away in 2007. At the time of his death, he was suffering from Parkinson's disease, and he'd been suffering from it for at least a decade. And he kept it secret. And the only reason he really went public with it is because people started to think that he was turning up places drunk. And right. it wasn't. It was the side effects of Parkinson's. It's a shame. I, mean, I was just thinking then because beer is a much more mainstream conversation now than it was in the 70s, 80s, and even in the 90s here. So it's a kind of a shame that he didn't get to see kind of the fruits of his labor sort of come to fruition now because, you know, you turn on Saturday Kitchen or, you know, Sunday brunch or whatever it is, and there's always bound to be a conversation about different types of beer. It's the sort of thing he would have really flourished in. I mean, yeah, we made the joke about Beer 52 and stuff, but without the groundwork that he placed and helping build that renaissance of interest in beer, would a service like Beer 52 have eventually appeared? I mean, he wasn't single-handedly responsible for the, the kind of increase in interest. He kept the torch burning. He is very much like under consultation, Luke. Because we actually were instrumental in getting Games Master a new series. I mean, that's what I tell people in the hope that it gets me free beer. Yes. Martin Mathers is still with us, still working his way through Virtua Copy. Hasn't blown it yet. Dave, what point of release now? Well, he's coming towards the end of the first stage and he hasn't lost a life or even been hit yet. And a little while back, he picked up an automatic weapon, so he's got some rapid fire going on. Well, let's head back to Martin. He hasn't blown it just yet. And we see him at the end of the first stage with an automatic weapon doing the boss fight. And it is like, you know, if you do play an arcade game down at your local bowling alley or whatever it is, you don't usually get to see very far into it because you've only got a quid and your mum won't give you anything extra. You've got your pound, you've got to spend it accordingly. So, you know, for me here, 1995, nine years old, seeing this much into a game, oh, this is dead exciting. I'm going to see other levels as well. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, and you see this first boss who is armed with a boxy rocket launcher and even boxier dialogue. And Martin just like, completely obliterates him, just makes such short work of him and clears the first level with a 99.7% accuracy. But it's interesting what you say about not seeing this far because for me, like when I saw a lot of these arcade games, as I mentioned, the Mop Fair, like one, normally the price on them would be a bit lower because, you know, they were there for two, three nights, whatever, and it was part of a larger touring event. So I think the highest most of the arcade games went were like 50p. For me, it would never be about a case of, oh, I didn't have enough change because I would save up like pocket money and earnings from my part-time job. So I always have plenty of money for the arcades at the mob fair. It'd be more about not wanting to keep pushing money into a game I wasn't terribly good at because it would look bad. It's like, yeah, that that guy's put a fiver into Virtua Cop. How shit is he? Absolutely, yeah. Like it is. Uh, I mean, when I was, you know, in the arcade down at my local bowling alley, it was a case of you'd play a game, you put your your money in or whatever, go through that credit. Once that credit is burned up, you'd probably then just move on to the next thing, depending on how good the game was. Like yeah. I, put, I put a lot of money into Sega Sonic because I, you know, I, because I was obsessed with Sonic at the time. And I just wanted to keep playing through a Sonic game. Um, but yeah, more often than not, you tend to move across to the next thing. I think the one time when I didn't, when I did sink a lot of money into something, like particularly for me at the time, it was Final Fight. But it wasn't just me. There were two of us sacks. It was a two-player sit-down cabinet. 
and we just wanted to get through final fight because you know it was it was a mission and i was playing as mike hagar and i think the other guy was playing as cody so you know it was it was a good old time well hopefully martin won't blow it as we get into our next challenge but what are we playing games master what i wanted was a simple but brutal challenge from my next contestants so I've chosen the popular arcade beat-em-up King of Fighters 95. I've selected the female fighters as their agility makes them particularly lethal. The winner is the one to take two rounds first. Bring on the fighters! Nice to see King of Fighters in Games Master for Series 5. We've had quite a few beat-em-up challenges thus far. We're going to have some more beat-em-up challenges down the line. But, you know, it's nice to go back into the 2D realm of fighting games, particularly like an SNK one. Yeah, because King of Fighters 95 is where the game really, really started to take off. And I'm sure that Games Master is on the level when he says that he's picked Mai for her agility and not her heaving chest. Yes, yes, her many, you know, she's got huge tracts of land <laughs> when we get to rick and dom later they are tripping over themselves to, to not bring it up titty ye not literally but king of fighters 95 a couple of important points about it one obviously it's a sequel to king of fighters 94 second game in the series but it was also the first king of fighters game to get a release on a console other than the neo geo related arcade system or indeed the neo geo cd because it got ported to the PlayStation, a Saturn, and the Game Boy. And now I would have played the PlayStation version. I certainly didn't play the Game Boy one. Now, the PlayStation version itself was crunched down a bit. There were lower quality graphics, missing animation, some missing sound. The Saturn version required a ROM cartridge that came packaged with the game disc. And that ROM cartridge contained the majority of the character animations. They didn't even put them on the CD-ROM. It's like, nope. They're all on this cartridge. But it did mean that the Saturn version was arguably the closest to being arcade perfect next to the actual AES. So it, it, and it was amazing to have that in the home. And it's again, one of the biggest selling points of the Saturn. I think certainly in retrospect, this certainly wasn't it is at the time. But in hindsight, one of the Saturn's greatest attributes was its handling of 2D games, 2D fighters, 2D platformers and this, that, and the other, because it makes them look... I, I, we've said it multiple times on the show. X-Men vs. Street Fighter on the Saturn is better than it is on anything else. I, I mean, we said it before. If they just made it so that cartridge slot could also play Mega Drive games, I don't think it would have won the console war. I still think that would have gone to Sony. 100% it still would have done. It was the cheaper option, the starters, and it, and, and, it about, and it had a better library. But I think it wouldn't have died on its ass quite as quickly. I think it would have found its own niche to exist in. A quick note on the Game Boy port, by the way, in addition to the fact of, yeah, there was a King of Fighters game for the Game Boy. What of it? It was not only compatible with the Super Game Boy, but also... It featured a character from Samurai Showdown as a secret hidden character. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, also, you can still get King of Fighters 95 today, a number of different compilations, and in fact, you can buy it as a direct download for the Nintendo Switch. The brand new King of Fighters has just come out as well, because I've seen all the discourse from uh, 
the, the hardcores that uh, the casuals might enjoy because it's got easy input combos and all this sort of jazz. I've seen some some comments and some streams and stuff on it from Ketchup and Mustard. Um, I haven't had a chance to check a lot of it out yet because, you know, busy, busy and also no internet at home at the moment. So so I'm, I'm ah, it's complicated because I'm kind of interested in a new King of Fighters, but also I'm not a huge fan of uh, certain business moves that SNK have made in recent years. Let's mm. leave it at that. Let's not get yeah. let's not get Ben Eltony on this. Let's leave it at that. Grappling under my watchful gaze today, please welcome from Biker Grove, Vicky Taylor and Donna Ayer. Welcome to the show, Vicky. Welcome to the show, Donna. Okay, right, uh, Vicky. First of all, you play Angel yep. in Biker Grove. What do you like about that character? Um, she's dead sweet. She gets on with everyone, but she can be stubborn. She's always Very stubborn to Charlie. Yeah. And flirtatious as well. Yeah, okay. she is a bit of a flirt. Uh, Donna, you won Child of the Year once in 1989 Years and years ago. What did you have to do for that? Put a sweet smile on and some baby clothes. You don't have to do child things, like you don't have to steal from your mother's purse or anything like that, or oh, no. fly out to fields. No. And so you're both fighting in this game tonight. Have you ever had any fights in real life, like up in Newcastle when you're filming? Have you ever had a kick in? Mm, no. no. <laughs> I've had a couple been, of disagreements. I've been to Newcastle you. twice and got my head kicked in both times, <laughs> funnily enough. But then, uh, fair enough, obviously, I just don't like bald people up there. That's uh, what it is, it's the accent. Good. What's wrong with my accent? Are you starting on me, you two? <laughs> no. Nah. It's not too late to get that, that little ginger girl from the show. <laughs> we can do that. I love the fact that you can still see Martin in the background um, while Dom is sort of introducing our celebrity guests here, who this week are from Biker Grove, Vicky Taylor and Donna Rare. Donna Rare is a name that I know all too well because I was a teenager in the in the late 90s and into the 2000s so donna air was always on the covers of things like fhm and loaded and all that sort of thing you know particularly after she got her stint on the big breakfast yeah although at this point she'd be just kind of in the aftermath of forming biker groove with janie hoy and vicky taylor as seen here releasing the single love your sexy So, I mean, because I didn't realize this until I was looking into it, but she's only about 15, 16 here. And I was that, and I got a bit worried because I was like, oh, I hope Dom's not in his flirty mood because that's what he is like with all the female celebrity guests on this show. When I, because Donna Ed doesn't look like she is 15 or 16, but she is. Yeah, it, he's not. He's being cheeky, but he's not. In fact, most of their banter seems to revolve around kind of like um, needling PJ and Duncan. That's exactly it. Yeah, I was only I was concerned because he had a line earlier at the start of the show where he was almost sounded like he was going to get wanked off by the celebrities later. But he is very much just you are a guest. I'm going to chat to you. Let's take the piss out of Anton Deck. Uh, Vicky Taylor, on the other hand, didn't have quite as an illustrious career. Uh, she was in Biker Grove up until 1996, so she's approaching the end of her time there. She did briefly return in 2000 for Jeff's funeral. Oh, mate, even though I was a bit past Biker Grove at that point, I remember when Jeff died. That was an emotional moment. You can tell how little of an impact uh, Vicky Taylor had on Biker Grove, despite the fact she was there for five years, because I went onto a Biker Grove wiki page. This is the entry they had for her. Angel O'Hagan, played by Vicky Taylor, is a character who appears in the CBBC television series Biker Grove. The character appeared on the show from 1991 to 1996 and in 2000 for Jeff's funeral. 
that's all that's all they had to say that's basically what i just spun my little spiel out of the exact same wiki entry there sadly isn't much more to say to her. But Dom gets a little bit of info out of her because he welcomes a guest and he talks to Vicky first and he says, what do you like about your character, Angel? And she's like, oh, I'm, uh, she's, she's dead sweet, but she can be stubborn and flirtatious too. So, I mean, that's already kind of more information about the character than is actually on the Biker Grove wiki. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Biker Grove wiki, do your fucking research because it's right there for you. You're making us look like chumps. We can't say much about this person. But Donna wants one child of the year, which involved putting on a smile and wearing sweet clothes and not, as Dom offered, stealing from your mother's purse. And I like that Dom's ambitious like, well, you know, what's it like in Newcastle? I've once got my head kicked in twice in Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> I like that Donna's like, it's because of your accent. And Dom stops and says, what about my accent? Are you starting? And I pro I popped for that because I've not heard the term "Are you starting?" probably since 1995. And he doesn't just like threaten to get into a fight with him. He's like, it's not too late to get the little ginger kid from the show in, which I'm guessing he's referring to Spuggy. Right. Well, uh, we're all going to wash our smalls in preparation for the challenge, which is coming up after the break. Apart from, of course. Martin Mavis, who's got more than enough to worry about than a pair of dirty smalls, because he'll be continuing and hopefully climaxing on Virtua Cop after the break. Channel 4 presents the Film on 4 premiere season. Louis Mal's Damage, starring Jeremy Irons, Juliet Minoche, and Miranda Richardson. You should have killed yourself when you first realized. Mike Lee's Naked, starring David Thewlis. We all thought, right? But you might already have had the happiest moment in your whole life. In the words of David Cassidy, in fact, while he was still with the Partridge family, I think I love you. The blockbusting Four Weddings and a Funeral. And a taste of LA street life in Alison Anders' My Crazy Life. From the highly controversial stage play by David Mamet, Oliana. What in the world are you talking about? Ken Loach's humorous and moving tale of survival in the 90s, Raining Stones. This is a big day, and ours. This is once in a lifetime. And to begin the season, E.M. Forster's Howard's End, with an Oscar-winning performance by Emma Thompson. Film on 4 premiere begins Tuesday at 9 on Channel 4. Now, are you sure you've got everything, money? Oh, let me see. Uh, wine, camembert, chocolates, present for the niece. <laughs> I see. Something tasteful for the top of the telly? Yep, that's a lot. I'm ever so glad you came along, Access. That's what friends are for. And everyone seems to know you. Well, I am accepted in over 200 countries. Um, what's wrong with Checkbook? Doesn't he like being abroad? No, he doesn't travel Ooh. well. Access, your flexible friend. <laughs> Polo, sugar-free. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What the? It's the Greek god of fertility. Calimera, Bruce. Cali what? It's Greek for good morning. Holstone? I'm relaxed, recharged, and ready for work. Well, Adonis. You know that ad in evening news? Look at all the new leads it's pulled in. Oh, you're joking. By the time I get through this lot, I'll deserve another holiday. <laughs> Don't know what you're smarting at. Work smarter, not just harder. Talk to us on 0800 800 800. <laughs> One of the great comic talents. I can't help laughing, I know what's coming next. <laughs> it's not easy getting it wrong. look back at the life and work of one of Britain's funniest men. He was more than funny, he was miraculous. I'm back to horse today, 20 to 1. Give me 20 past 4. Here is a comedy, Tommy Cooper, Friday at 9 on 4. Welcome back. Biggie Taylor and Donna Eyre from Biker Grover are about to try their luck on King of the Fighters 95 on the Neo Geo. We spoke to them before the break and I can say they're both fantastic ladies. Fantastic bloke action going on still on Virtual Cop. Martin Mathers working his way through it. You alright there, Martin? Fine. Rick Henderson from PC Review is uh, eagerly watching this scrap with me. Rick, tell us some of the strengths and weaknesses of both characters then. Well, my Shinui which is the character that Donna's playing, has got immense um, popularity right. and is extraordinarily quick. It's best to get in there quickly. And King, the one dressed in a suit, which Vicky is playing, mm -hmm. is actually very, very slow, but is very good at power, power plays. They've both got a couple of good special moves. Mm -hmm. uh, Mai has got the flying squirrel dance, oh, that which sounds, sounds very that good. Sounds and King's got the surprise rose. And is that, is that a surprise? It's a bit of a surprise to me, but. Uh, if they manage to actually pull it off. But okay. there you go. Rick Henderson is in the booth as we come back from the ad break. And Rick, this is where Rick starts to trip over himself to be like, he says, my has immense popularity. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Tracts of land. King is also pretty good. A uh, lot slower than my, but has some really powerful moves. They both have some good specialities, including apparently a flying squirrel dance and a surprise rose. And Rick says, It'll be a surprise to him if they pull either of them off. Harsh, but as we see, also fair.
it is harsh but fair in the end of this one of the things that i loved about this bit of banter between dom and rick is that and we've seen this from series one of games master and i like the fact that they are sticking with this just do one take i haven't got time to do another take of this because you can see like rick says about the flying squirrel dance and dom in his head is like that's a weird thing i'm going to try and make a joke out of that but doesn't know what the joke is yet so starts to say something but rick's already moved on to the next special move on any other tv show they probably would have gone i right, do a cut there i can think of a joke we'll rehearse this and then we'll do it again but it's like Okay, we've got the take. Let's move on. We've got other things to film. It's terrifying that we do more quality control and editing <laughs> than the show we're reviewing. <laughs> I just want to point out that when we come back from the break, Dom's like, uh, you know, we're here with top gals from Biker Grove and also top bloke. Martin's still being a top bloke over there. Hi, Martin. Martin no-sells it. Right, moving on. He's got to focus on the game. But speaking of focusing on the game, the fight begins. We get underway. And we have some gameplay that feels like we've just leapt back to series two. That is what I've written in my note here. I've written that was very dot 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 series two. Yeah, there's a lot of jumping, a lot of hits, very few attempts at a special move. But they oh, do. I was, was going to say there's. A, I was going to say there's a lot of jumping, a lot of whiffing, and then and then a few hits and some throws. There are a couple of decent throws that connect, but. We still end up in something I can't remember the last time we had in Games Master, a time limit decision. And it is like, <laughs> so, you know, Rick at one point goes like, not a lot of blocking in this fight. And it is just one of them will hit the other, the other will hit the other. And they just sort of keep exchanging these things while jumping around, particularly like Donna, who is playing as Mai, is jumping around all over the show. And it feels like it's Donna's rounds to win until Vicky makes this, I'm going to say comeback in, in Bucky O'Hare is. But even then, they are down to like, you know, a gnat's dick of health bar between them. And then the time runs out. And it is, I, I can't quite believe that Donna couldn't find the finishing blow for that first round. Yeah. The second round does get a decisive ending and it goes to Donna, who's still jumping a lot, but also landing more hits. And Dom says to Rick, what would you like to see with the final round? And his answer is... We haven't actually seen any of the special moves. I mean, mine's also got deadly flying... What something. is it? De deadly flying bees. Ninja <laughs> bees or something. Yeah, that final round's more jumping, more whiffing. It's a lot like round one, really. And then Donna gets the win. But again, they nearly went to the time limit draw. Like it was. Man, what series two performance it was. However, I will say... They did better at this than PJ and Duncan did Street Racer. Okay, right. Vicky, you took the first bout, and then it all kind of started to go wrong. What happened? What can I say? Donna's character's far too fast for my character. Oh. I mean, when my character does get the punch in, she is quite powerful, but it's just too quick. Fault. Yeah, it's the computer's fault anyway. I can't blame. It's too late to blame the computer now. <laughs> I so wouldn't play any computer games at all, but I'm a fanatic now. I love it. I need to well, you were, you were doing some fantastic moves there on Vicky. Oh, yeah. What, what, what were they about? She kind of moved towards her, put, grabbed her with her legs and flung her over. It was, like, and all of that. It was a visual treat uh, for all of us concerned. Well, I have to say, actually, I didn't actually want you to come on the show. Oh, I didn't think we'd get on. I didn't think I'd like you. Well, but... we've been thinking about it for yeah. about four months now. Someone warned us. 
Some were warned about the presenter. That's Ant and Dick talking rubbish. Do you know what I mean? But I do have to say, having met you, you are much nicer than Ant and Dick because I thought they were they smelled a little bit. You were nicer than what he described you as as well. They didn't really like you. They didn't describe you. Oh, you should have heard what they said about you. You can't trust short Geordie blokes. That's in the Bible or something like that somewhere. She describes what was essentially a hurricane runner, and Dom describes it as a visual treat. Down boy. Steady on, Dom. Dom confesses he wasn't sure about having him on the show, and Vicky and Donna say, well, they were warned about the presenter. And Dom's like, it was a bastard ant and deck, wasn't it? You can't trust short Geordie blokes. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I'll have to check that passage out. But Donna gets her golden joystick, and Dom, as much as he'd love to spend more time with them, has to get back to Martin. Now, do we think Donna Rare still has that golden joystick? I want to believe. Or did she even take it home? I want to believe it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dom, on level one, Martin may have had it all his own way, but he's finding it a completely different kettle of fish on level two, with the body count and hostages turned way up. He's managed to keep his cool and his multiplier on nine. So we're going to have a look at some particularly hot replays of our wannabe Bond in action. Martin has held his cool throughout. He's not shot any hostages. And in fact, he's now got more lives than when he started. I love in this bit when Dave points out the fact that he killed a guy that's not targeted. So when you, if you haven't played Virtual Cop before, it puts targets up on screen of the people that you're shooting, right? So it'd be like, shoot this guy, then shoot this guy, then shoot this guy. But there are characters in the background that aren't targeted. If you shoot them, you get extra bonus stuff. And Dave like highlights this and it zooms in onto it. It's a real slow motion replay of it. It's a cool little hint if you've play the game and you don't know that that's a functionality for us. As you said, it's some great commentary as well. Uh, Dave is absolutely on fire in this. And we see the end of level boss from level two, which he exerts even less energy on than the, the first boss. It's just like, boom, done. He doesn't even get to fire off a rocket. It's so good. He's up to his 6.4 million of the score. So he is getting there as he heads into the final rounds. And we kind of go back to some real-time action and he takes out what can only be described as a Mexican wave of baddies. He also now has seven lives. He does. And then interestingly, he chooses to ignore the Magnum. There's the option, like, he, the, the Magnum appears and he doesn't take it. And Dave questions whether that's a mistake. I don't think it is because the Magnum is a slower gun, a slower, you know, slower um, fire rate. He's sticking with his current gun. He's got, like, unlimited bullets, quick reload. He's not having to think about what happens when I run out. Martin did that quite intentionally, and I think it was totally the right move for him. First up, Dave and Rick tried to look moody over the Saturn's Virtua Fighter remix. This means they got some hip DJ in to add a couple of drum beats and a chicka chicka noise. Or maybe not. Well, Virtua Fighter really has been the Saturn's flagship game, and Virtua Fighter remix bridges the gap between Virtua Fighter and Virtua Fighter 2. It's all the usual characters from the first game, but they've all been guru shaded like in the second game. And it's really quite good, although there aren't many differences in the playability. I've never been a great Virtua Fighter fan. I've never liked the playability itself. And I certainly didn't like the graphics. So they have improved at least one of my quibbles. The only problem is I still don't like the playability. It's still, to me, the slowest of the fighting games, 3D fighting games, I hasten to add, that are on the market. Finally, some Sega Saturn coverage in Series 5. It's about time, lads. Interestingly, the Saturn that I've got, which I got boxed, is actually the Japanese Virtua Fighter Remix release. 
So, but in the US, if you sent in your receipt or a copy of your receipt for your Saturn, you could get Virtua Fighter Remix for free. And part of that is because Virtua Fighter on the Saturn wasn't actually that great. I mean, one, it was already looking dated, and two, the port wasn't that great. Part of it came because it was being created at the same time as the hardware. So it wasn't even that they, they didn't know how to use hardware. It's the hardware in the development libraries didn't exist. Yeah, we talked about it like when the game came out for the Saturn and it was like, you know, oh, it's amazing because it's the arcade game and it's on the home market, but it wasn't very good. And it was basically the biggest selling thing that they had because it was more or less your only option at the time. And even then, it was like there was a shadow of like, but Virtua Fighter 2 is just around the corner, so you're probably better off just waiting for that. I mean, they chose to go as an accurate port of the Model 1 game, and that was a mistake because Battle Arena Toshinden was right there, Tekken was right there, Virtua Fighter 2 was right there. And in fact, technically the 32X version didn't look that much worse, but was actually better because it didn't have CD loading times. Exactly. Which I can't believe how obsessed we used to be over CD loading times, whereas now it's just a case of, meh, it's a thing. Uh, I mean, I'm with, I'm in agreement with Rick when it comes to this, and I think you are as well. We've talked about this before, but I've never been a virtual Fighter fan. It's too floaty. Yeah, the graphics have been improved for Virtua Fighter Remix, but the gameplay is more or less still the same. So I'm in agreement with Rick. They've only really fixed one of my issues. Although an interesting little possible flub, or maybe I'm just mistaken in this from Dave, is he says they've been guru shaded, and I thought it was Gorad shading. I haven't a blues clue. Oftentimes when Dave says things like that, I'm like, he's probably wrong. <laughs> or someone like deliberately typoed it, because I do wonder, was he being messed around with behind the scenes as well? Or is it just he'd heard it mentioned by someone and thought that's what it called? Like, that's what he remembered it being called when he was going around to recording this. The internet was in its infancy. Yeah, and also stuff like that is how we got the whole, hey, what if you crashed into a wall and it turned into a different game? 84% for Virtua Fighter Remix on the Sega Saturn there. I mean, it's nice to see the Sega Saturn get a, a mention. I mean, it gets buried in a couple of episodes time, but still, you know, a nice bit of feature for it. Next up, top arcade racing action ahoy on the PC with Screamer. And being a virgin game, expect some crazy controversial ad campaign to follow. Screamer finally brings console racing action to the home computer. Basically, this is Ridge Racer for the PC, combining glorious graphics and impressive speed. In fact, this is probably the best racing game I've seen on this format. It is certainly the best arcade racing game on this format, but that's what's inherently wrong about driving games on the PC. The PC owner is a more discerning person. They need more. They can't have the absolute speed that a console version of the same type of game would have. For me, this game had it all. It had arcade action, nice tracks, good rivals, eight-player playability, um, everything I wanted on a PC. Up next, we've got Screamer on the PC market, which Dave basically says is Ridge Racer for the PC. And it looks like Ridge Racer for the PC, to the point where I'm amazing Namco did not sue them. Now, Dom in his intro says, it's a new racer for the PC, and being a virgin game, expect some crazy offensive ad campaign. Lo and behold, an advertisement for the game showed a burnt-out car wreckage with the slogan, every Christmas the roads are full of madmen, join them. Ugh. 
Good going, Virgin. Hey, it, it worked. It, it sold a lot and it won awards. Rick here, being, you know, the PC owner, is a more discerning person. They need slightly more than just an arcade racer. Like, that is why people tend not to like PC gamers, Rick. Well, I was going to say, as a PC gamer, fuck <laughs> Rick. <laughs> A lot of PC gamers are more into your simulated racing, flying, whatever. But not everyone, particularly as we're now approaching the kind of the, the mainstreaming of the PC as a gaming platform. Things like Doom, Quake's just around the corner, interactive movies, PC CD-ROM, 3D graphics cards. This is the turning point. And suddenly arcade games in the home on the PC are becoming not only plausible, but desirable. Yeah, we've got 89% for that game there. However, the, the conversation about realism is going to come up in our next review, and it's one that I take a bit of umbrage with. Finally, Destruction Derby on the PlayStation is a game that encourages you to smash into other cars, which isn't big or clever and can have your eye out if you're not careful. It looks like Ridge Racer. It's got fantastic graphics, especially when your car gets battered around by the opposition. Certainly in Destruction Derby mode, where you're centred in the middle of an entire arena and cars just pummel you into the sides. The only problem is, it's got no playability. Yeah, I think the problem with Destruction Derby is perhaps they've tried to make it a little bit too realistic. They've taken all the fun out of it. It is just like driving a real car. When you do damage, you see damage on the car, you see damage on the other cars. There's no guns in it, though. There's no fantasy. You want a bit of fantasy in your games playing. And most of all, they've tried to make it like rock and roll racing. They've got the commentary in there and everything, but there's no, none of the playability, none of the fun. We talked about Destruction Derby on our PlayStation launch special, but needless to say, we both really liked Destruction Derby. We miss it being around while there was kind of the Destruction Arena thing on the PS5. I would love a full remaster or redo of Destruction Derby. However, it's the comments from Dave that I completely disagree with. This idea that they've made it too realistic and you've taken out all the fun. We want fantasy in our games. They've tried to make this like rock and roll racing, but without the fun. Now, I slightly agree that I think rock and roll racing is a better game, and I think it has stood the test of time better as well, because most 16-bit games have over the first launch 32-bit games. But this idea that Destruction Derby is a bad game because it's too realistic, I think is absolute bollocks. Yeah, this whole line about you need guns, fantasy, but mate, it's a racing game. Yeah. Why, it's difficult to say that, you know, oh, it needs to be more like Wipeout, because Wipeout is only just out there. It's literally like in within a month of it coming out. And yeah, you've got Mario Kart, which doesn't have guns, but it does have fantasy elements. But that is literally a cartoon based on an existing IP. Exactly. I think it's such a stupid comparison to make. And the reason why that this game is bad is because it doesn't have weapons. It's not that game. It's a different kind of racing game. Rick's comment on there being no playability, mm, different horses for different courses. I do think Destruction Derby 2 is a better game than the original Destruction Derby, but I still had a lot of fun with the first Destruction Derby, and I don't think it was kind of like some sort of brand loyalty blindness. I just think it was a pretty good game. I mean, it gets 80% here. Then they're much kinder to the game when they do a challenge on it in a few episodes' time. Yeah, which is, oh, that's an interesting challenge. I, I tidied up my notes on that a little bit earlier, and I'm looking forward to talking about that with you. This week's demo for PC blokes and ladies is the allegedly simple but addictive puzzle game, Zoop. 
log on to the number on screen or you can get it via our webpage, the address is at the bottom. With a 44 modem, it'll take about 15 minutes to download, but get permission from the sucker who pays the bill. This is not as good of a demo as Worms was a couple of weeks ago. Nope, it's a puzzle game. It was released for many different platforms in 1995. It's kind of similar to an old Taito game. And the most notable thing that I can find on it is that a month before its release, it was one of four games featured in the prelim rounds of the Blockbuster World Video Game Championship. And it was a rare instance of an unreleased game being used in a video game competition. But the full list of platforms it came out for came out for the Mega Drive, the SNES, MS-DOS, Macintosh, PlayStation, Game Boy, Sega Saturn, and guess what, Luke? What's that, Ash? There was a version for the Atari Jaguar. No, it actually came out. <laughs> I also like as well on its Wikipedia page, this appearance on Games Master is referenced. That either shows how important Games Master is or how little there actually is to say about this game. Right, Martin Mathers is in the final stage of his Virtua Cop event challenge. We're just about to move on to a final boss type situation. There he is. He still hasn't taken a hit at all. You can see bottom right corner, seven hearts. He's picked up a couple. No hits yet at all, Dave. Now, what's this boss going to do? Now, I absolutely adore this conclusion to the challenge because what we see here is Martin just going through the end boss. However, it is amplified by two things. Dave providing very good commentary, talking about how fatigue is starting to set in. You can see that his firing isn't as quick as it was when he started this challenge. He's been playing for a long time now. He's slowing down, and that is making the boss fight even harder on him, especially when he starts taking hits as well. And Dominic constantly bringing up the fact that there's only a couple of minutes left of the show, cheering Martin on to finish this challenge. And it comes down to, Bucky O'Hare is the wire of this broadcast to the point where the credits roll over the actual footage of him completing the game. And it makes this challenge because, let's be honest, Martin has not struggled. Yeah, sure, his trigger finger may be getting a little tired, his feet may be getting a little sore, his eyes may be getting a little bit strained. But even as was pointed out earlier, he's using the smaller cabinet, which actually means he's having to move the gun less. So he's actually kind of playing the easier version. And I use that in Bucky O'Hare's because it's still a hard game. But if we were just concluding the episode with this end of challenge and it was a case of, boom, he wins, joystick, end credits, it would be a case of, well, it was a cool challenge, I suppose, yeah. but he never really felt like he was struggling. But no, the commentary by Dom, the commentary by Dave, the fact that the clock is ticking, the fact that the credits start to run before the challenge has ended, it escalates things. And even though we know this has been filmed in advance, this is not going out live and they could have fixed it all in the edit, the illusion is complete. Everyone is in on it. Everyone is selling it. And therefore, it is an amazing challenge and probably one of my favourite in Games Master history. Same here. And I can guarantee you, nine-year-old me who didn't know how TV shows were made, would have just assumed that this was broadcast live or that, you know, I wouldn't have questioned the the way that it was put together. I would have just assumed that this was completely real and legit. And they do such a good job of selling that idea. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a really, really good one. Like you, I, I think it's one of my favourite challenges that the show has ever done. And as we say, he doesn't just get the one final boss, he gets the second final boss because he's completed the game on the right set of difficulties in the right order. He takes out the first boss without even blinking and then it's onto the helicopter boss and he takes the 
final bit of health away as the credits roll and we're then just waiting for the game to catch up. He's completed the game, so he's already done one part of it, but will the score come up? Time, that's, that's it. it. He's Helicopter's put up the score. Gone. Let's see what the score is. Has he got the maximum? And the maximum score, yes, nine, 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 nine. It's that perfect score. He got the perfect score. However, there is no time for a formal presentation. So, so oi, Martin, well done, mate. Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. That's it. The credits have already rolled. We're Huge done. comes up and that's it. The, the show has ended. I, it's no so no cool. pants motif tonight. <laughs> no, I think it's really, really great. And it's a lot can be said about Series 5 and the changes that Dominic made to the format. But without those changes you don't get challenges like this in the same way that you wouldn't have got a challenge like the Tekken 2 one we had a couple of weeks ago. And for my money, that is for the better. I think it makes it so much more interesting and we get to have a varied style of challenges now. This challenge wouldn't have been as good in the old Games Master format. So this gets a massive thumbs up from me. This is my favourite episode of Series 5 so far. And that's saying something, because let's be honest, the King of Fighters challenge was actually kind of pants. Yeah. The banter was what made it. Yeah, it is. It wasn't good. Yeah, the challenge wasn't good. The banter was, and also Rick and Dom desperately trying not to say the word tits. But yeah, the smutty child boy innuendo had a certain charm, even though some of it is dated really badly. And woof, we've got a few more bits coming up in future episodes that don't even have the charm. However, the reviews were great. Even if we disagreed with them, it was great to see the games. I got a lot out of the Beer Hunter segment because it was a fun little bit. And hey, dude, we got to talk about beer for a bit in a fun and informative way. And not just because Beer 52 don't sponsor us, but they should. It's a good palate cleanser in terms of the episode, because otherwise it can feel a bit heavy, a bit news heavy, a bit game heavy and this, that and the other. So I think it's a good palate cleanser, kind of like what the Nets review was uh, a few episodes back. But yeah, kind of like you, it's sort of in our sort of final thoughts on this. I think this is a terrific episode. It's easily the best one we've had of this run so far. I think outside of the King of Fights challenge, which, yeah, it's not great. But the virtual cop stuff is so... And it's so good that they bring it back for the next series. Yeah, when it gets even more complicated and convoluted, but in a way that I absolutely love. Yeah, and and I think that it's there's a reason why this is one of the most remembered challenges from Games Master. When we started this podcast, uh, people got in touch with us about, like, you know, their memories of Games Master... And pretty much every single person brought up this challenge. Yeah. And also, I think special kind of, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but MVP to Dave Professor Perry. Absolutely. Because his commentary was astounding. And particularly in those final moments, really, really elevated. He was the perfect play-by-play man on this challenge. And it's one of the reasons why, like, it's hard to feel sorry for Dave Perry because he is Dave Perry and he is Dave Perry, but he is the only person that's part of this crew that is still trying to make Games Master what Games Master was previously. And without him on this challenge, it might not have been as effective as it ends up being. So yeah, like I I think a lot of credit goes to him for the success of this challenge and to Dom taking it seriously and to Martin's performance. Percentage-wise for the episode what are you thinking i'm gonna go straight in at nine million nine hundred and ninety nine. i was gonna go for a solid 94 I, I mean i had written down 90 and i was sort of like in those more higher 90 numbers but i took it down for the king of fighters gameplay challenge because it wasn't particularly great however i do think that 90 is too high so i'm actually gonna bump that up to 92 
92, there we go. Was that is that the same as Doom got on the snares? I think it was. I think it was about that, yeah. So <laughs> So it works for me, brother. Uh, but that is all we've got time for on this edition of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Each and every single one of you rule. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on social media on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to join us for some real-time chat, some interactions, you can head on over to our Discord where the current topic of conversation has been surviving the storm that is battering the UK, people returning to various wrestling federations, people leaving various wrestling federations, and all the various things involved, oh, including some classic Now albums as well. Hey. Oh, that's good. like to hear that a lot. That's great. Now, now Yearbook 1982. Very, very tasty. Uh, there's links to that in the show description. Also, if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod, where you get access to this show one week early and ad-free at the £5 level. And you'll also get access to UCP Extra, which is this format, but about other shows from the 80s and 90s, including that Earthworm Jim cartoon and our monthly community podcast under Console Nation. And Ash, at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra... But what is that? You will get our Patreon merch pack with brand new golden joystick mugs, which are on their way. And I hope they are as good as they look in the pictures. I really will be very sad if not. But they're big, they're golden, they're glittery, they're not dishwasher safe. Definitely don't put it in a microwave. We will not be held accountable for fires and or ruining of your mother's best crockery. But inside that mug, you will find new trading card retro fox 90s tv trading cards i've actually got to go and pick those up after we're done recording along with stickers and revised badge designs all of that can be yours if you join us as a golden joystick waggler on the under consultation patreon and a shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom simon sean retro fun for everyone reese paul nick misha matty boo mark link kevin jamie harriet manga girl gordon dempster gordon brands david palmer david fisher darkside 73 cliff chrissy two sticks andrew and adam d thank you all so much for listening we will see you in seven days time take care everyone good night Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.